Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Before we get too deep into this episode, just a quick trigger warning that we are going to be talking about some instances of sexual assault, abuse, and things that are related to that. So if that is a trigger for you, also some violence uh, in these songs. If that is a trigger for you, then here's your warning, just so you know. Samantha, were you ever into emo or pop punk music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely was that girl who felt all those emo emotions. Of course, like, you couldn't tell by what I would wear. I wasn't Mm. that into it. But yeah, I, I definitely had some dashboard confessional and all of these such in my repertoire. What about you? Oh, oh yes. I was so into it. I did wear the clothes. I did the eye makeup. I had the studded belt. I painted my nails like black and red. I, for a while, all I wore was pretty much black with like accents of red in it. And this was when I was in high school. This was when I was super into it. And I, I remember introducing my very, very confused high school teacher to the term emo. And she was like, I guess I'll add that to my dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I got some autographs. I interviewed Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, but that was, I was dressed as Winter Soldier. That was much later. Um, I joined an emo band of my own and I still feel very nostalgic for a lot of these songs. I sing them at karaoke. I listen to them when I'm sad. I need to belt something out. I still have the band shirts. But yes, as I've gotten older and more and more allegations have come out largely about male members of these bands of abuse and grooming and sexual assault, it has kind of made it harder to listen to some of this music, especially if the lyrics are kind of stalkery or abusive. And it's especially complicated because I did form a lot of close bonds with women over this music and over these concerts. And I mean, we still talk about like, all of the music festivals we went to and how we like made it to all these different Green Day concerts, which they're slightly different, I will say, than what we're talking about here. But they had an emo phase. And (laughs) yeah, now knowing that there is a lot of abuse within this world and that has made some of it uncomfortable. And I did listen to a lot of songs from my youth for this and it it brought back the memories. <laughs> As it should. Uh, my partner and I sat one day and listened to a lot of the 90s uh, mm. and early 2000s songs that we used to love, including like Coheed and Cambria and all yeah. of that. And for some yeah. reason, a lot of that bled into like Christian alternative. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I have, because I grew up as a high schooler who was all about Jesus, that I had all of that music because I was super cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was agreeing uh, with you. <laughs> I was, I'm going to leave it at that. But like, that was the same thing. And a lot of the things that we're talking about, about the misogyny was in these little Christian punk bands that yeah. made me go, what? Uh, yeah. You would think that wouldn't be the case. Let's be honest. Like there's a lot of hypocrisy and we know this. And if you've been a part of that culture, you understood that. Mm-hmm. But it still was so disappointing when you yeah. read half of the things that you're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's it's strange when you, because this was a very formative time for me and like the, I identified with the music so closely. And then you listen to it as an adult and you're like, wow, this is really violent and hateful towards women. <laughs> like, right. Wow. And I guess I didn't, 
there was something at the time, heavy quotes, romantic about feeling that level of emotion. But it's messed up. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. And And you really just want to be a big part of it. You know, one of the big things, and we're going to get into it more, but I just remembered a moment where one of the big bands, which was called Reliant K, that's come Mm -hmm. over into the uh, popular contemporary stuff and Mm -hmm. uh, mainstream stuff. And then the woman who was a DJ in Atlanta who was engaged to the lead singer as she Mm -hmm. was so excited, was doing a whole segment about wedding planning and talking about how it was so romantic. It turned out he cheated on her with a fan and it was, it just got splashed everywhere. And I was like, oh, dude, huge mistake in dating a radio, like, Right. Celebrity who just called your out. And Mm -hmm. all of your fans are probably beyond disappointed because not only did you take advantage of this fan, I think, but you broke this woman's heart who talked about how holy your relationship was. (laughs) Right. But that's a whole different story. But it is stuff like that that reminds me of like, yeah, these good guys were emotional, all right, and took advantage of everybody else's emotional stuff. Yes, yes. let's go backwards a little bit. Talk about definition, because we love a definition. What is emo slash pop punk? From a 2014 paper by Sam Dubois called Cheer Up, Emo Kid, Rethinking the Crisis of Masculinity in Emo. He writes, emo, an abbreviation for emotional, is a term both used to describe music, which places public emphasis on introspective displays of emotion, and a pejorative phrase applied to fans for a diverse range of music. It's overwhelmingly male-dominated in terms of production, and it has been suggested that the development of emo can be explained with a reference to a, quote, crisis of masculinity. The term first originated in the 1980s to describe hardcore emotional punk, though we're largely talking about the third wave of emo in the early 2000s. Yeah, so the bands we're talking about specifically right now, that's what we're talking about. And the article goes to examine fears around identity queering and the effeminization of mostly young men. And remember the whole guy liner panic, and we're still talking about it because I still hear people talking about it to this day. Yes, and actually people have speculated about the masculine stances and performances. So there's like the phallic guitar and the wide leg stance of so-called cock rock alongside the tight jeans, the unisex hoodies, and guy liner, um, so gender bending. Oh, somewhat. And what that means, the debate is ongoing. I mean, this stuff is being talked about right now. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I just remember distinctly having an argument with my brother if I liked somebody, I think Jared Leto, and this was before he became a band. Like he was always yeah. a part of a band, but he wasn't big in music yet. This was mm-hmm. his uh, my so-called life era, oh, and he was kind of that emo kid. He yeah. is that emo disenfranchised outsider that I was like, yeah. yes, but he definitely like had the mm-hmm. eyeliner, has some fingernail polish. And oh, my yeah. brother was like, what's wrong with you? He dresses like a girl. It's like, he's in touch with his feminine <laughs> side. You don't know him. <laughs> That's like so I funny because I also got in a fight with somebody about Jared Leto that was kind of similar. And I ended up getting his autograph from 30 Seconds to Mars Days. But let me tell you, I've never frozen so hard with a celebrity before where I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I want this moment to end right now. This is so <laughs> weird. <laughs> 
I've not gone there, but I do find those moments interesting. By the way, uh, pop punk is defined by the cultural wiki like this. Pop punk, also known as punk pop, is a music genre that fuses elements of punk rock and pop music. It typically combines fast tempos, loud and distorted electric guitars, and power chord changes with pop-influenced melodies, vocal styles, and lyrical themes, which I believe I sent you a sample of a song we talked about previously. You did! Because one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this was because we kind of touched on it in our episode on Jennifer's body, and there's that kind of whole theme of the the emo band and them sacrificing her for emo fame. And we learned that Samantha had some songs with lyrics that she lended to them or that were about her. And she sent one to me and I listened to it. (laughs) And it It brought me great joy. (laughs) It absolutely is punk rock pop punk. I don't think he would like that's how we're defining it. Right. Because he he wants to be kind of outside of that. It is now what we would probably regard as indie. Mm-hmm. Indie rock. Uh, uh, but I learned yes. many genres within those like shoegazers and all of that stuff that I was like, what is happening? Why are there so many titles and or uh, related types of things? Right. What is happening? So, yes. but yes, you're welcome, Annie. No Thank one else you. will be able to hear this, but you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> if that guy's randomly listening, I was the person who listened to it randomly. <laughs> you got a notification. <laughs> and I do want to say, also kind of going along with that, emo, while describing a type of music, is also used frequently to describe kind of the fans. So it can get murky when you're talking about it like that. And a lot of people described it in a way that I felt targeted by, but was absolutely true, which is kind of like mall hot topic set, the mall hot topic set. And that is what I was. I had a hot topic punch card. Oh, more than once. Oh. I got all I grew up in the generation that that was the devil. (laughs) And I could not go in there. Really? (laughs) I mean, my parents wouldn't go in. They're like, you go (laughs) way out here. Would not let me go. Wow. And then by the time I was old enough to do so, I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll go in occasionally now, and it's just such a throwback. It is such a, like, I remember being in here and wanting... Because I, I couldn't afford a lot of stuff in there. It's expensive. But it the Green Day jacket that I wear to this day is from Hot Topic. Uh-oh, the zip-up hoodie? <laughs> 40 bucks. I saved up for that one. And I still wear it. I love and it. She so. still wears it, y'all. And it's intact. Like, it is still it in is. Good, good condition. I like it because it has pockets. And you can zip it and unzip it. It's nice. <laughs> but that's that reminds me of another a funny story where I think in high school, I dressed as essentially a really emo kid. And this... We didn't get many trick-or-treaters in my neighborhood, but doorbell rang and I answered it. And it was a young mother and her like maybe two-year-old daughter who was dressed as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. And they both looked terrified of me. Like, I could see immediately the mother was like, this is a mistake. We're going to leave. And they're like backing up. And I'm like, candy? And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So there was kind of that that vibe too, especially in conservative areas of of it being like, I don't know, risky, risque or dangerous or devil related. All these kids wearing all black. (laughs) Their studded belts. 
Oh, studded belts. And the funny thing was you had to take off the studded belt to get into the concert. And then at the end, there'd be just like this huge thing of studded belts. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd like put your initials on your belt (laughs) so you could find it. (laughs) But we all wore it for the waiting in line to get in. It was a piece of our identity, which is part of the pain of why why um, we, as a lot of us, as young fans, were taken advantage of. And I did want to mention before we go on here, this was a listener suggestion. So Beck wrote in, a topic I think would be interesting to cover would be about the emo scene, music scene from the years 2003 to 2012-ish. This article briefly covers what it was like growing up as a girl teen and being exposed to the culture that was essentially ruled by misogynistic men. A simple lyrics breakdown of popular emo scene songs from this era is enough to say that women were treated like objects to appease men, especially if they didn't reciprocate their feelings for them. Topics of abuse, murder, and the copious amount of gaslighting was a common theme in most of the songs from this era. And yeah, we're, we're about to get into some lyrics here in a second. But yeah, a lot of these songs focus on boys um, or men's bodies, particularly white, straight, cis men, on their fears of rejection or on the actual rejection, on their hurt or anger at women, on sexualizing women's bodies or blaming their unhappiness and or pain on women. People who have traced the history of punk, pop punk, and emo over the years often point out that emo and pop punk weren't always this way. The songs used to give women's names and they would give these women autonomy and depth. People who weren't super idealized and on a pedestal, which is also part of what we're talking about here in these third wave emo songs. But then something shifted in the 2000s and emo albums largely became about men's heartbreak and the nameless women at the cause of it as the enemy. Women existed in these songs as simply an object that messed with men's hearts and lives as either the perfect woman or muse, and that's sort of like the best uh, end of the spectrum, or the vessel for their sperm or like hatred. A part of the men's story, that's what they served, these women in these songs, a possession to be won or lost, blaming women and only women for their emotional state, which feels very telling of the songwriter's views on women. There's a lot of gaslighting and slut-shaming in them. Um, Emo and pop punk became another boys' club because as you noticed, we're talking about men writing these songs and that's because that was largely the case. And this boys' club was one that looked down on the girls and women fans who made up their fan base. At 2014's Warped Tour, 6% of bands featured a single woman in their numbers over the 120-band lineup. And that's doing anything. While the crowd was a majority female at 53%. Oh, yes, says a lot in general. It does. Um, I did go to Warped Tour one time, and it was so hot. That's what I remember, was that it was hot, and I got a really cool shirt, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I didn't go, I don't go to concerts much, mm-hmm. and I still don't. It's too crowded for me. Like, I, I knew then that I couldn't mm-hmm. handle it, and I still know today. And also, shelling out a lot of money for a concert never made sense to me. Mm. I'm too practical and too cynical. and like, I don't want to be in a crowd where I can't see somebody and barely hear the music and I'm getting touched all the time. I don't I don't want to. <laughs> but the few times that I did go was because either it was free mm-hmm. or it was convenient. And it, again, it included like Switchfoot, Reliant K. Yep. Yep. I went to see them, I think, a couple of times. I also went to see Weezer. Oh, yeah, but because they were performing in Atlanta for free, and we were, like, just there. I was like, oh, what's was happening? That the, did you go to, was it the Downtown Rocks? Because I was at that one, yeah, too. Yeah, I think so. I think it was during the, uh, it was uh, Centennial 
Yeah. When they were having the free shows from Centennial yes. Park, essentially. And mm-hmm. I was at a restaurant and hanging out. Like, it was awesome because we were at a restaurant doing something. I think we thought something was happening. We didn't know exactly where. Mm-hmm. And then we showed up and we ended up going to a restaurant eating. And then the show happened and we were right to the side of them. Like, we could see them perfectly. I was like, oh, cool. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. I went to all of those too. I think also all free shows. <gasps> What if we crossed paths? We did. We did at these emo shows. And I, I can't remember the band. I was at, it was a Switchfoot concert, but there were multiple bands there. And I only remember mm-hmm. Switchfoot, but they were all Christian bands. And one of them was like shouting into the microphone. He was like, it's so cool not to have sex and to save yourself from marriage. And we were all like, woo. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like shouting was it, it angrily. Was it Five Iron Frenzy? Because that was my go-to band of my high school. Five Iron Frenzy was the shit to me. <laughs> or was it, it DC Talk? Was it DC Talk? It, so I much mean, nostalgia, y'all. I wonder if I could find this old lineup because it was at North Georgia College where my dad taught. Oh, I, that one, I didn't go to that one. Well, sure. yeah, but I wonder if it had a similar Right. Oh, I'm kind sure. Switchfoot, Reliant K, Supertones, y'all. We're going down a path. We I'm are so going. Sorry. <laughs> All of them had like the similar venues mm-hmm. and would go together. Yes. Yes. I'll have to look. I've actually really enjoyed Jars even of though, Clay. Yeah, I remember Jars of Clay. Yeah, I've enjoyed going back down this memory lane, even though we're talking about like not great stuff. <laughs> right. Right. We wanted to go over some sample song lyrics, and these are limited. I, I had to put a timestamp on how much time can I spend listening to old songs and <laughs> picking out lyrics that are sexist. But yeah, we wanted to, to choose some to illustrate what we're talking about here. This is one of the misunderstood songs as well, like misspoken mm-hmm. songs, as in they get the lyrics completely wrong, yes. and I yep. am one of those people. Uh-huh. So it's the Fallout Boy song, which goes... I'm just a notch in a bedpost, but we're just a line in a song, which of course is from the 2005's "For Sugar, We're Going Down. Mm-hmm. Still probably could not sing that all the way through and would make up my own stuff, as most people did in that yes. line. And yes. of course, there's also, I only want sympathy in the form of you crawling into bed with me. Also 2005, Dance, Dance, their other hit. And I yeah. still probably would not know that lyric either. But yeah, that is real <laughs> gross, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's funny slash sad when you're like, not recently, obviously, but when you're in the height of karaoke and you're like, oh, I know, Fall Out Boy or whatever song it is, and you're singing it. And as you're singing it, you're like, oh, <laughs> I feel weird about this now. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of that same way with a semi-charm kind of life. You don't yeah. know what you're singing and then you start realizing, oh, oh. They played for oh, free no, that's at not my what college. I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds so upbeat. It's so upbeat. But it's so sad. The lyrics are not not upbeat, everyone. Oh, speaking of not upbeat lyrics. So here's a line from Brand New's 2003 song, Me versus Maradona versus Elvis. This line is like infamous. I got desperate desires and unamorable plans. My tongue will taste of gin and malicious intent. Bring you back to the bar. Get you out of the cold. My sober straight face get you out of your clothes. I almost feel sorry for what I'm going to do. If you let me, if you let me have my way, I swear I'll tear you apart. And yes, that is about date rape. Just straight up about date rape. 
Gross. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the census fell, uh, 2004 LP says, so love me gently with a chainsaw and take the glass against your wrist. You're worth more dead. Wow. Wonderful. Okay. I feel loved. Yes. Yeah, so, so much love from this emotional <laughs> music. Glass Jaws, 2000 Pretty Lush has this line, you can lead a whore to water and you can bet she'll drink and follow orders. So the band Ataras and the song, the last song I will ever write about women, I bet that didn't happen, <laughs> which is, love is wrong and girls are f- evil. I guess I'll never figure out what womankind is all about. Well, I mean, at least they're yeah, honest. I mean, good riddance, goodbye. <laughs> 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 and then from the U's, who I also saw in concert, uh, 2002's Buried Alive, my foot on your neck and I finally have you right where I want you. Yeah, and this one was a big one and we still talked about today and we're definitely going to talk about her own comments. They were one of the few Mm female-led punk slash emo band as well as she was a very big Christian girl. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was originally, this was not, I don't think this was a Christian band, but she used to be like all about that Christian life Mm -hmm. and then they got big. In 2018, Haley Williams of Paramore announced they wouldn't be playing Misery Business, which, yeah, I used to love that song, and but this lyric ruined everything, which features the line, once a whore, you're nothing more. And it's pretty much a woman against woman stealing yeah. men from each other, mm-hmm. which, again, lived for a long time and it still exists and you still hear it in many songs, including, uh, yeah, Mean Girl types of movies. I've seen it featured. Mm-hmm. And they have yet to play it again at a show since. And when they announced this at a show, the audience cheered and applauded. Of course, they also got a lot of pushback, being like, yeah. you're doing too politically correct, calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, but Williams has been uh, outspoken about the sexism in the emo world in several interviews. Here's a quote. She says, when I've been offered female opportunities, it feels like a backhanded compliment. But people sometimes think that that's anti-feminist, that don't want to be grouped in with the girls. As a 16-year-old who had dreams of playing with the big boys, it felt like we were being slighted. That summer, we went out, and I'll never forget it. We played in Florida, and the stage was a truck that had a flatbed on it. It was so flimsy, it would shake and fall apart. There might have been one other female in a band on tour, and people were gawking. I don't think in a pervy way, they were just confused, like, what's in this for me? What's she singing about? I'm a guy, how do I relate? And she also shared the story of getting condoms thrown at her while performing and being asked about her pussy by a man from another band at 16 years old. And when you look at a lot, again, this kind of comes back into that same conversation of like, yeah, this seems cool and all, but a lot of these men were super gross and they did go after young girls like Haley Williams. And it was really gross because the relationship, some of the relationships were like, how did that happened. Avril Lavigne was another example of like, yeah. and I don't think she, either one of them would say they were victims necessarily and that they would probably not look at their relationships as a bad thing, but it was oftentimes with like way older men mm-hmm. and you're kind of like, this is uncomfortable. Right. Like there's something off about this and I think they were targeted a lot. And yeah, again, a majority of the time, the girls were young in, mm-hmm. in emo bands while the men were old. And you're like, yes. how did this come about? Yes, and that is a power dynamic that has been abused a lot because this community was and is rife with abuse of women. And several articles have written about how the lyrics in a lot of these emo songs were essentially grooming young women. For instance, Jessie Lacey of the band Brand New, which we 
uh, just saying, I didn't sing. I quoted the song about <laughs> date rape. Um, also, they had one of my very favorite songs when I was young, and I'm like, I guess that's over for me. And they, this band is often credited with kicking off third wave emo. They wrote another song about how Lacey wished his girlfriend would die after she decided to spend a semester abroad. And at the same time, he's writing and performing these songs. He was pressuring underage girls to send him nudes while he was masturbating on camera in front of frightened teenage girls. And it took 10 years before they felt safe enough to come out and talk about it. Here's another example. Mid-2000s Australian emo band, The Gateway Plans tour manager, John Zimmerman, groomed and raped over 55 young girls. And most of them were fans of the band. And he gave a lot of false promises of introducing them to band members. Um, and he was eventually found guilty of 92 charges ranging from rape, possession of child porn, and sexual penetration of a child under the age of 16 among other things. Uh, He got 16 years in prison. Another Australian pop-punk group called With Confidence had to withdraw from all touring in 2020 after allegations that the guitarist was sexting with a fan uh, who was a minor, which came about, and they're like, oh, okay, never mind. And the band fired him and put out a statement supporting the victim. Hmm, However, less than a week later, another woman released screenshots of explicit Snapchat messages she'd received from the lead singer when she was underage. And uh, they released another statement, and yeah, they stopped touring. (laughs) Yeah. In late 2014, a member of Front Porch Step faced multiple sexual harassment accusations from underage girls, including sex and solicitations for pornographic photos. Several of these girls put together a petition asking the founder of Vans Warped Tour to protect young female fans by removing Front Porch Steps from their lineup. After looking into the allegations, the founder agreed. However, a couple of months later, they were scheduled on the Warped Tour lineup in Nashville. And people were rightfully furious. Haley Williams of Paramore tweeted, I still believe in you scene. Demand better because you deserve better. No more excuses for boys just being boys. He did end up performing with some girls in the front row crying so hard, he had to stop and address it in mid-song. He and the founder, when interviewed about this, claimed he was playing as a, quote, rehabilitation process. Um, He had six security guards protecting him. Of course, the girls had... No protection, no security guards protecting them. And there really is story after story. It's it's heartbreaking. Often with the male artists getting off relatively scot-free or even suing the accuser for defamation and allowed to continue to perform. And these are only cases that have been officially reported. Message boards are rife with stories of people in these bands or in their orbit preying on young girls. Many of them fans, a lot of them underage, blackmailing them and making them feel ashamed to silence them. So maybe getting photos and then telling them, like, I'll tell your parents what you did or I'll show these photos unless you be quiet and or continue this sexual relationship. And it's not only girls and women absorbing these messages, but boys and men, too. If they're observing the success and how girls and women seem to enjoy the music and their lyrics, the fangirl over the band members, then it makes sense that they might believe that these lyrics are romantic, that the behavior described in the songs will get them the girl. It might reinforce their feelings of being victimized by women who rejected them, justified in their sense of anger, their intense anger. And it kind of reminds me, honestly, a lot of what we talked about in our mass shootings episode. Because these songs are full of self-pity, 
and the bands are loved for it. The source of pain is usually a woman, and women at large are the source of contempt, superficial and unintelligent often. Not only that, being a band member makes that even more okay because these songs teach that putting women through pain for art is entirely acceptable, which again, we talked about in Jennifer's Body, that if you're a nice guy, the whole trope of the nice guy, and women just don't understand you and that they owe you because you are a nice guy. Right. Articles have pointed out what these men seem to want is in fact girls and not women. Girls who will agree with them on everything, who will do what they want, who will idolize them like they think they should be idolized, because, you know, they're gods, apparently. And that this is a world created by men to seduce and impress girls, while also deriding them. It's a dangerous power dynamic. Yeah, and like I kind of talked about at the top, it's it's been, for a lot of women and girls who were and are fans of this type of music, it has been a real sense of community oftentimes for them. And to have that weaponized has been really painful. And I've read a lot of articles with where it was friendships formed between girls and women because they did make up a lot of these audiences. And then having this kind of realization <laughs> of, right. oh, not great. A lot of misogyny and a lot of preying on young girls in this world. Right. Uh, and again, as you were talking about, there's been a several instances where women come together and realize, oh, we've all been victims? Mm-hmm. Okay. And which has been the huge mistake of a lot of stars in general, not realizing, hey, if you groom several people, eventually if one tells a story, they're going to see a pattern. Yeah. So, uh, which has been an interesting community in itself. Sad that it has to happen, but encouraging that they are talking. Mm-hmm. And from Jessica Harper's 2003 essay on the rise of commercial emo, she writes, my deepest concerns about the lingering effects of emo is not so much for myself or for my friends. We had refuge in our personal political platforms and deep created record collections, but rather for the teenage girls I see crowding front and center at emo shows the ones for whom this is their inaugural introduction to the underground, the ones who are seeking music out, who are wanting to stake some claim to punk rock or an underground avenue for a way out, a way under, to sate the seemingly unquenchable nameless need, the same need I came to punk rock with. So I watch these girls at emo shows more than I ever do the band. I watch them sing along, see what parts they freak out out over. I wonder if they're being thwarted by the fact that there's no presentation of girls as participants, but rather only as consumers, or if we reference the songs directly, the consumed. I wondered if this is where music will begin and end for them, if they can be radicalized in spite of this, if being denied keys to the clubhouse is enough to spur them into action. Yes, and people have said that that it seems to be the case because things are changing, but Basically, what Hopper was talking about here is young women forming ideas on who makes music and what it says about women and internalizing that at a young age. Many women, both in bands at the time and fans, spoke of condescension and entitlement oozing from these bands, similar to the fake geek girl thing that, you know, being told like they don't understand real music, that they were only there for sex, um, that they supported these bands and showed up for these bands, but the bands did not want or support them or just were just, uh, yeah, condescending of them. And I mean, there's a whole conversation we could have too about we, we sort of talked about this in Fangirls, where this is a time where girls are 
experiencing, they're kind of going through these feelings around sexuality for the first time and you're experimenting. And that's part of the reason why things like fangirls exist is because it feels like it's a safer way to experience your sexuality or kind of get a feel for what you're attracted to or all the stuff. And it should be, it should be a safe space, but this is just showing that a lot of times it's not. It's, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, and it's a slap in the face for, again, we talked about this in the Fangirls episode, how it's a slap in the face when a product you are sending out, so the music is getting the love that you Mm -hmm. hoped it would, but then you're finding that annoying as Mm -hmm. well as not taking it seriously. What a slap in the face for those who have bought into what you are selling and you should be proud and you should be thankful. Mm-hmm. You don't have to owe them anything necessarily, but to ridicule them and or use them is such a disgrace yeah. in general. And we've talked about this again with like the bigger boy bands when they come out and they're like, oh, that was me being young and naive and stupid and I hate it. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Like these, yeah. these fans are the ones who made you and put you mm-hmm. in where you are and to dismiss. Sure, you can do things like, I, I, you know, that was when I was younger. Sure. Okay, you grow. Everybody, mm-hmm. Everything's fine, but that doesn't mean you have to ridicule Yeah. What is that that brought you into this place? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Just saying. Yes. Another thing that people have written about in when they're kind of digging into this whole situation is that why why women, you know, and me included, why did we, why were we okay or even like these lyrics? Why did they resonate with us when they were often so outright hateful towards women? And some people think it has to do with internalized misogyny and the whole idea of, you know, like, I'm not like those other girls. I'm not like this girl that broke your heart in this song. I would never do that to you. I can save you. I can fix you. I can make you feel better. Whatever you need me to be, I can be that for you. Others think that because it this all coincided with the growth, really rapid growth of internet culture and things like blogs and file sharing, that that allowed for this culture to spread and solidify very quickly. So it was just one of those things where suddenly it was everywhere and we just all kind of bought into it, yeah. And I guess it was, you know, exciting and... <laughs> I'm trying to think of my own experience because I had to... My parents would let me go to Hot Topic, but they were very nervous about concerts. Once I started going, I was like all in. I think it was almost just like, I'm out in the world and I'm doing this adult thing and being at a concert. And it just felt really new and exciting for me. And there was like, because I've said my very embarrassing truth. I wrote a fan fiction, which was a Mary Sue fan fiction where I saved the lead singer of Green Day's life, Billy Joe Armstrong, by taking a bullet for him. And I <laughs> I think that's just, you know, that's that stage where you are feeling like, what are these feelings? Maybe I am the person. I could be that special person that will be what they need. And it's not healthy, but I think it's normal and oh, natural. There's a fantasy, uh, whether it's trying to, again, discover your sexuality, understand your own sexuality, understand romance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a whole level of absolute understanding and this is normal. This is you trying to have a fantasy life. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is the 
unhealthy version when that obsession has become something that stops you from living your everyday life. Right. But fantasy life is not a bad thing. And that's kind of the point of having the celebrity crush, the mm-hmm. uh, all of those things that is a little untouchable. Yeah, in that level yeah. uh, because most oftentimes that's better than reality and mm-hmm. that's what you want. For me, what's so funny in my fantasies, it always ended up with heartbreak. Like mm-hmm. I <laughs> I never, like either in their death or my death yeah. or some horrible breakup, mm-hmm. cheating, like it always ended that way. Uh-huh. Mine was not necessarily like, yay, save the day. So <laughs> it was never that. I always envisioned the like, worst case scenario and uh-huh. read with that. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> but I, again, I, I digress too. This is part of the imagination. This is part of the process of working some things out that you can't do it uh, in reality, in real life. So might as well. And I don't think that's yeah. unhealthy at all. We all go through that. My sister yeah. and I still debate about who's better, NSYNC or uh, <laughs> Backstreet Boys. I go for NSYNC. Annie, you're you're weirdly out, <laughs> in the, out of your generation and go for Backstreet Boys. <laughs> But you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this will be this will be what finally tears us apart one day. The in sync Backstreet Boys fight. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think it just breaks my heart that this normal process is being preyed on by right. older men because you do, you know, you are caught up in idolizing this person, but you don't really understand that you know they are a person, and maybe you don't really understand what relationships look like yet, and. You just are so excited because it makes you feel like you're the special one if they pay you this attention and then it's abusive and you don't know what to do about it. Just makes me angry, breaks my heart. Other women have wrote about how these lyrics normalize behavior from boyfriends, maybe even glorifying, glorifying this behavior. Like, ooh, my boyfriend is so artistic or emotional, thoughts like that. And we talked about the romanticizing of emotional men that happens a lot. It's kind of like a running joke about the difference between men's pornography and women's pornography. And that doesn't have to be bad at all. But if this emotion is harmful, one-sided, and toxic, then yes, that is bad. (laughs) It is bad. (laughs) Especially when we think about young girls absorbing these messages and internalizing them, believing that's what relationships look like. Or even, yeah, young boys too. um, That that's what romance looks like and that's their role to play in it. There's also a lot of romanticization of trash champagne. I find that's common in a lot of our media, actually, that we really romanticize this idea of like the tragic loner hero often or anti-hero, whatever the case may be. So that can be problematic for people to absorb as this is uh, what romance looks like. Right. Yes. Oh, and this is a fact I found interesting. Other music exports have written that in many cases, lead male singers have this like nasally quality in these songs that are even not so great singing skills that would have been critiqued the hell out of anyone that wasn't cis male and or straight. They are benefiting from a privilege of being whiny and emotional when women are punished for being shrill and hysterical. In fact, women who have made it in the emo pop punk scene have had to be exceptional when it comes to skill level. And one of the articles specifically gave examples of Haley Williams and Avril Lavigne. It was like, they have four range octave. Like, they can do right. all of this amazing stuff. Meanwhile, a lot of <laughs> emo dudes are singing like one octave. Right. Kind of just like mumble talking into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Mumblecore, y'all. Mumblecore. That yes. exists. Uh, no, it's absolutely true. Because when you start looking at 
the newer wave, I guess, because Panic at the Disco came a little later. He actually has a vocal range and can actually sing and hit different ranges. Mm -hmm. But then you hit like Death Cab for Cutie. He has a kind of operatic falsetto sound. Mm -hmm. Doesn't hit many of the chords and he is very distinctive Mm -hmm. but if you heard him sing regularly it wouldn't be impressive you just kind of stare and be like all right and move on Mm -hmm. if you hear individual other stuff like that dashboard confessional i can't quite remember i don't think it was all off uh cool hand luke i don't (laughs) know if you remember who they were he was indie and he was a little more on the christian scene uh Uh and he was that level too could not sing (laughs) but he seemed so cool and his lyrics seemed so cool so the title, his name was good. Cool. <laughs> I knew you would appreciate that. But his actually comes from the movie. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, but all of those things are very different in, in sound. And you're right. Like, this doesn't make sense. Not everybody, they just have a band and they have some vocals in the background. Great. But that's about the end of it. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, and I don't want to, if you're listening to this, I loved a lot of this music and I still listen to a lot of this music and enjoy it. But if you think about it, like a lot of it is pretty, you know, one kind of range and similar in topic. <laughs> it wasn't And they would much. say that for a lot of pop too. They talk That's about, true. they make fun of that all the time. And typically they make fun of girls. That's I've noticed true. that pop singers who mm-hmm. are like, they can only sing four notes. But then if you take them out, like Miley Cyrus is a great example of you think she's just a pop singer. And then you hear her sing outside of, and she can hold those ranges and she can hold yeah. those notes and she can hit every note without mm-hmm. phasing it. And you're like, hey, she's a singer. Yeah. She gets yeah. it. I can't hit those octaves. No. Stop trying, <laughs> Samantha. Stop trying. <laughs> but there are things like that that you see people dismiss easily because yeah. they seem like a joke, but in actuality, they have a talent beyond. Right. And people yeah. need to calm the f- down, <laughs> as Taylor Swift yeah. would say. Yeah. I'm a big, big believer in, you know, pop music has been really looked down on, especially because I think the fans are a lot of women and girls and the singers often are too, and actually quite talented. And we always have to ask, like, if a song is resonating, then we have to ask why. Something's working. (laughs) Right. So, yes, admittedly exaggerating or heightening of emotions is not unique to emo music at all. As the name might suggest, they might have gone, you know, above the average, but it is, it's normal. Some of these bands have addressed their past misogynistic lyrics and made changes. I mean, even like before this, we were talking about past poetry. A lot of my past poetry was really emo and like violent and stuff that was unnecessary. But I was going, I was working through stuff. Yeah, my mom found mine and asked me if I was okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) As a teenager. So oh, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's it's it is more emotional and often more violent. But it, music at large does that a lot. Um, and a large swath of music has a history of being misogynistic, including rock and pop that emo grew out of. Others have correctly pointed out too that while hip hop has been called out and sometimes dismissed for misogyny for years, emo and its softer toxic masculinity, as it's called, has long escaped it. Yeah, but we're talking about emo today. So that's the that was the target. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, one of the songs I called out the most was Paramore song, which is interesting in itself. Yes, I found that to be true as well. 
But there is hope. The emo revival has more female artists than ever. This is going on right now. Um, though, yes, we still have a long, long way to go. From the band She, Her, Her song, Killing the Boy Band. Here's some of the lyrics. So you started a band. Well, let me guess who's in it. All straight, all white, able-bodied cis men. Say you don't know many female musicians. Why the f*** would they want to be part of a scene with people like you in it? So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, oh my goodness, listeners. If you have any emo bands or pop punk bands with women in them that we should be listening to, we want those suggestions. Yeah. I am ready. I am so ready. You know, Christina's ready. got tons of these suggestions. Our producer. Send them our way. <laughs> you can uh, email us, Christina, or also just, you know, talk to Tell us. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever way you're more comfortable with. <laughs> but listeners, if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is stuffmedia.momstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. I bet she's real emo. She got this. She got it. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 